to relax for another 10 minutes or so. Um, fabulous. What, what a church this church is. It, it, I, Jen and I preach in different churches almost every weekend, and this is a very special church. I, I think we rarely, rarely do we strike gold with churches like One Heart. And your future's enormous. Your future's bigger than you could ever imagine. I think sometimes we, we, we attach the future to the past, but the past has no bearing upon the future. Sometimes you think it'll just be a linear growth, so we'll expect a, a 25% increase over the next 10 years. You know? <laughs> it's just so dull. You know, and yet what God has is He's, he's, he's got things that no eye has seen that no ear has heard the plans that God has for those who love Him. Is this a room full of people that love God? Well, you better strap in. You better watch out because God goes beyond your imagination. He's able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Little old you, God always uses ordinary things for extraordinary purposes. He's never not used earthen water jars. He's never not used a donkey. So if you think, well, I'm more donkey than racehorse, congratulations. It means that that you're a candidate for God to use you. He loves ordinary people. That's why he made so many of them. And if he wanted another Finney, another Wigglesworth, another Luther, then he would he would create another but he doesn't he wants one of you and when God streaks you with the glory of God it's pretty obvious who's the human here and who's the God here but he does want to do that he doesn't want your life just to be uh, walking through quicksand and walking through difficulties it's the process that God's taking you through in order that you might end up experiencing a life of incredible influence. Maybe maybe not importance, but thorough significance. You know, we, we get enamored by the Hollywood stars and enamored by the rock stars, enamored by the political stars, and yet, and yet it means absolutely nothing. The only thing that means anything is those that do the will of God. They live a residue that endures forever. And so take your eyes off your comparisons on Instagram and Facebook and your comparisons on social media and and start to realize that that there's greatness invested in you. And the reason why you're alive today, the reason why this church continues today is because there's unfilled prophecy over each one of your lives. There's still prophecy. That's why when Jen and I are on an airplane, the plane's not going down. It's not going down, not because of everybody else, but because of us. There's unfulfilled prophecy in our lives. We are kept alive because the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name. Is the band still behind me? I can't do two things at once. I can't look back and look forward at the same time. I'm slightly autistic. And uh, Big Al on the bass, give it up for Big Al on the bass, eh? And, uh, and I, think, I, I think, if I get it right, are you the pharmacist? No, are you the, what's that? The doctor. The doctor's on the drums. Give the doctor on the drums a huge round of applause. And Kim, you're an absolute legend. You guys, you guys can take your seats. And, um, um, but thank you so much for having us. Gosh, I, we, we have been, haven't we, Jen, absolutely spoiled here. 
And uh, in, in most churches, people do their best, but here the best is far higher. And we feel totally pampered and, and, uh, and uh, we, again, rarely experience the, um, the type of um, hospitality that's in this place. Now, is there a clock or anything like that? Because I know this service is a tight service and it just, it'll come up. Is it coming up? It, it will come up. I, I can't see it. Is it? Yes, yes, there is a clock. There's a clock up there. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for something digital, but there's an actual clock, you know. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> uh, if, if I, if I uh, tried to slip into God's vision for each one of you, it's not to be a bungalow, it's to be a skyscraper. And uh, a lot of Christians are bungalows, you know, they're one single story because they try and put an extension on, on the top of it, right, for a second story, but the whole thing collapses because the foundation's not strong enough. But what God wants to do is, is create a skyscraper out of each one of your lives. And you don't believe it, but God believes it. You know, he hasn't wasted one breath. He hasn't wasted one atom in your creation. He hasn't wasted one aspect of a process in your creation. He wants you to be a skyscraper that touches the skies of possibility. And the skies of possibility are rarely touched because they are actually the skies of impossibility. But God makes impossible things possible. And so he causes you to grow taller and taller and taller. And as you do, you cast a shadow of influence on the world around about you. And if you see the world today, it is collapsing. If you see the, the world today, it is falling apart. There's no doubt about it. There are contradictions in today's culture that are astronomical. You'd have to lose some brain cells to think this whole thing makes sense. And so God, in the meantime, is creating a church that's growing in stature and a church that's growing in influence and a church that's getting taller and taller. If you think what's happening to me, well, it's because last year you're on floor 34. This year you're on floor 55. That's what's happening to you. But you don't realize that the taller you are, the more influence you cast. And God doesn't just want to make you strong. He wants to give you authority. There's more authority upon your life and upon your church now than there ever has been in the history of this church. And, and you might think, well, I, I can't see it. Now, that's because we're involved in the building process, but God's involved in the overshadowing process. And eventually, it'll be undeniable that Jesus Christ is Lord to the people around about you, to this city, to the cities in this region, to this state to Australia, it'll become undeniable that Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. But you know, the thing about skyscrapers is they've got to dig down quite a bit in order to go up quite a bit. Now, this is, this is the difficult side of it, right? Because you can think, why is God stretching around? Why, why aren't I involved in diamonds and gold? Why is it with ugly concrete? And it's because it, it, God's got to hit bedrock. And the bedrock is a revelation of Christ. And God's got to dig down uh, through the debris of your life and through the fears and the phobias and through the, hey, this is who I am. And he's got to dig down and he's got to touch some bedrock. And so often skyscrapers go down kind of almost as much as they go up. A lot of people are saying, hey, what we need is a move of God. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I've been moving with God. You, God's, been, God's been working and, do, and moving with you. And uh, this guy came to our Leeds congregation when we first started. He said, when's revival going to come to Leeds? And I said, jazz hands, you're looking at it, right? And uh, we never saw him again because I don't know what he's expecting. But, but I want to say that 70% of what God's doing is he's doing internally. 
And sometimes when we think move of God, we only think external. We only think in physical healing. We, we only think in the number of souls that get saved, right? But most of God does is, is preparatory. And I just think the reason I'm sharing this this morning is once you, once you understand how God's, how God's working, you can relax with it. You know, I think we spend a lot of our Christian life feeling a bit lost, you know, getting pumped up, then feeling lost and pumped up, then feeling abandoned by God and pumped up and saying, God, where are you? And yet, yet he's working internally within us. You're looking at an iceberg here. And even at my age, you know, um, five eighths of, of me is under the surface. As God spends most of his time in the hidden place. And he's spending most of his time in you. you. You're doing some great things for God, but he's doing most of his time in the hidden place. Because what he will do through you far exceeds anything that he has done through you. And if you think you're too late, Jesus did everything he did in one-tenth of his lifespan. He spent 30 years under the iceberg. And then God spent three years above the surface of the ocean. And so if you follow that pattern, God doesn't need a long time. You think, oh, I'm running out of time. Well, how, much, how long do you need? You, Jesus changed the earth in three years. Uh, you know, so you can think, oh, no, it's too late. I peaked 15 years ago. No, you haven't peaked yet. The reason why God is still on your case is because he's taking you through the seven steps of the process. There's a process going on right now. And the best analogy for this is in Jeremiah chapter 18. And God isn't a shepherd in Jeremiah 18. God's God's not the savior. God's a potter. And the famous verse is Jeremiah chapter 18, verse number six. And it just says this, like clay in the hands of the potter. So are you in my hands, says the Lord. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to create a vessel of honor. He's trying to create a durable vessel that won't peak, that won't be a one-hit wonder, that won't break down after one usage. There's massive plans that God has for planet Earth. There's tension on the earth, but there's massive plans that God's preparing. And He wants to use you in the plan. He wants to work through you, not despite of you. I'll know, you know, if, if, this, if this obligatory revival's coming, I'll know about it because it'll be through me, not beside me. He won't just hit the hills and, hey, Dave, look, revival's happening. It'll be through each one of us. Otherwise, God's wasted his time in the seven steps of the process of becoming a vessel of honor to give God glory. He's the potter and we're the clay. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, says the Lord. Process number one, he finds us and he frees us. He found me in an empty creek bed. He found me where a river of promises used to flow, but every promise from the world came to nil. The world lied to me and said, here's the source of fulfillment. Here's the source of happiness. Here's the source of, of, of destiny for your life. But every promise the world gave to me was a lie. And I was left in an empty riverbed until the potter came along. 
And when the potter came along, he came along with his spade and he dug me out. I called out to God and he dug me out of the dry riverbed. But you know, I've got to say this, that even though I chose Jesus, it was a long time ago before that, that God chose me. My dreams aren't my dreams, they're his dreams in me. Therefore, whoever, if God started the good work in me, he'll be faithful to finish the good work in me. And I want to say to each one of you that you've been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you are not your own. I'm here against my will, not within my will. Because when I became a Christian, I said, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. Every one of you in this room are here against your will because you decided to put your human right aside or use your human right to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And so God is all over you. It's not your dreams be fulfilled. It's God's dreams in you. It's not your plans. It's God's plans in you. It's not your future. It's his future in you. So relax. It wasn't you that started it. God found you dead. It was his plans, his will, his experience, his blueprint that got you out of the miry clay. And if God got you out of the miry clay, God's not going to stop today in the process of him making a mighty vessel of honor used for his glory and for his purposes. I've got to say this about, about clay, in that clay rarely looks like clay, you know, like the orange stuff. Uh, often it looks like mud. But it's an experienced potter that says, hey, that's not just mud, that's clay. But when we look at ourselves, we, we just see mud. But it's God who sees clay. We look at ourselves, we see night sky. God sees stars in the night sky. We look at ourselves and, and we see coal. But God sees diamonds in the coal. You've got to see as God sees. You've got to put on your, 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 your night vision. You, you've, like Michelangelo saw a broken fracture block of marble. And uh, that was rejected by two major sculptors beforehand. He took it home. He sculptured out the statue of David, the most famous statue in the world today. And someone said, how did he do it? He saw he saw he said he saw an angel frozen in the marble he carved it away to set it free what's how God sees you an angel stuck in the marble of humanity the marble of doubt but he's he's digging away set the angel free you think I'm just a fractured block of marble yet, yet God's about to create and he's about to build his greatest statue out of your life because this is this is what God does if you cut faith with a knife, it always bleeds in optimism. Something good's about to happen. You can't be a pessimistic Christian because it's an oxymoron, like, like a humble vegan. It, it, just, it just doesn't, there's never been a humble vegan in the history of veganism. It just, you know, you can't be a pessimistic Christian. If you put, if you put faith in a washing machine, then the dye of hope, the red dye of hope stains everything in that washing machine. Some of you just need to let yourself go and, and, and stop being so pessimistic and change your mindset. When your mind comes into line with your convictions, if the commitments of your mind come to line with your convictions, uh, we've got lift off here. You want to believe for the best. You want to expect the best. You want to anticipate the best. You want to start to bleed in anticipation because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Believe in anticipation that something good's about to take place.
Firstly, finds us and he frees us from our sins. And then he puts us in the sack on his back. He carries us just for a short period of time. And this is where we learn uh, what, what the Message Bible says in Matthew chapter 11. We learn the unforced rhythm of grace. You gotta, you got to take your hands off the wheel. Let Jesus Christ take the wheel. you got to stop being such a control freak. And we're all control freaks because we're creatures of survival. We don't want to die. And so, so we're all control freaks. But when it comes to your destiny, you're going to have to loosen the grip of the wheel and allow God to take over and come into the unforced rhythm of grace. The thing about us is we, we think that if, if we had a sin, it be that we're too slow for God, that we're dragging in our relationship with God, that, that we, we're, we're disobedient to the point of pulling back. I would say that most of our sins aren't sins of slowness, they're sins of fastness. That we love the movie franchise, even though I haven't seen one of them, Fast and Furious. And I think number 10 is about to come out, I think, right? And because we love Fast and Furious. And the mistakes that we make in our Christian life aren't generally from going too slow, they're generally from going too fast. that we're yoked together with the oxen, with the ancient of days. And as long as we stick to that speed, we'll accomplish everything for which God's called for our lives. But when Jesus was tempted in the desert, in Matthew chapter 4, I think that he was in the desert, he wasn't tempted to slow down. He was tempted to speed up because Satan came three times. And the first time he said, uh, this, he, he's on day 14 of his fast. If you turn this, this stone into bread, you can eat now. He's thinking, I'm going to be eating in 25 days time. But what Satan wanted to do was to speed speed up the destiny, to, to get the promise now instead of in the right place at the right time. He said, if you jump from here, the angels and ministry, that was about to happen in just less than three years' time. He said, stand up here and all of this earth could be yours. And that was about to happen in three years and 50 days' time. So what Satan wants to do is wants you to be involved in things that are right but wrong, wrong timing, right stuff but wrong timing. That's the problem with pornography. It's the problem with adultery. It's the problem with greed and that you're getting something that was set for a certain time in the future, but you're getting it now. It's trying to go faster than God. And what God wants you to do is he wants to put you on the sack on his back and learn the unforced rhythm of grace. Be patient. Father, give this congregation patience to learn what it is to be in the rhythm of grace, the unforced rhythm of grace. A lot of Christians are enamored by the chorus of grace, the thumping chorus of grace, where God does miracles and does outstanding things. But you want to learn the verse of grace first. The verse is held together by rhythm, not melody. You want to learn the rhythm of grace and eventually you'll come to the chorus of grace the melody of grace but we're in step with the holy spirit firstly he finds us and frees us secondly he carries us thirdly he refines us and i'll, I'll make this one fast right because it's not that nice right but once you understand it and you you succeed in it quickly you can move on to the next thing but he takes us into the potter shed he empties us out right and within us there's a whole lot of stuff in us right there's coke cans of rebellion there's car tires of pride there's 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 um barbed wire of independence and I saw a potter once. He said, Dave, you've got to get that stuff out, right? Otherwise, when you put it in the kiln, it'll just explode. 
you'll be good for nothing. And some of you are in the refining process of God right now. And, and I would, this, is what, this is what the potter said, add more water. Grab the water of the word and just add more water because, because it makes it easy to pull out the, the barbed wire of rebellion. It makes it easy to cleanse it. Secondly, and he didn't say this, but if you're going to die, die quickly. If you're going to pick up your cross, uh, pick up your cross and die in a fast way. Don't die slowly. Don't hang on the cross and, and whip your leg and whip your arm around. You know What God wants to do upon the cross, and he usually uses a cross experience uh, of, of something unjust, of, of where you've been misunderstood, where you've been uh, vil, vilified, where, where you've been persecuted and he wants to take out the self he wants to take out self-justification he wants he wants himself to be your defense lawyer he wants the justice of your cause to shine like the noonday sun because he's become your defense not through self-defense he wants to take out self-pity he doesn't want you to be a crybaby he wants to nurture you instead of self-nurturing he wants to care for you instead of self-care he wants to love on you instead of self-love he wants to break the power of self-centeredness. So every now and again, you're on a cross for something you never did. Well, welcome to the life of Jesus Christ. But the purpose of it is so that God would take self out and so that you'd come off the throne of grace within heart and God would come on the throne of grace within your heart. That's why God. And the second thing that God uses, just if it's so sparse, but I've got to mention it, is that a best friend will turn the heel against you. And it happened to Jesus with Judas. I would suspect that a lot of the prayer life of Jesus was about Judas saying, God, change him, God, change him. And then, then he said, Father, forgive him. Along with the masses, he just doesn't know what he's up to. And this is where you learn to have a heart of love instead of a heart of rock. God softens your heart. Instead of having a brittle heart, he gives you a pliable heart. And to love your neighbor and to love those who have cursed you is one of the hardest things in the world. And I've learned that's a process in itself. It's a daily thing. But if you don't do it, you can be stuck in this process of God. It's only number three, but you can be stuck on number three thinking, oh, I'm not going to forgive. And you can live your life hurt instead of living your life through the graces of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I saying something this morning? It's just every one of us have got an enemy. And what you do with it will determine the future, how high you go as a skyscraper in the kingdom of God. Hey, oh, let's get out of that one quickly, right? So, so number four is that he positions us. He puts us in the center of his wheel, in the center of his will. Like, Crowded House had a song, and the song, some of the lyrics went, I'd rather be a caravan in the hills than a mansion in the slums. And I'll tell you why they say that, because, because the value of a property is mostly based not in the condition of the house, but in the position of the land. They say there's three things important in real estate. Location's number one. Number two is location. And number three location and so what God's done with each one of you is he's located you think what am I doing here in, in Port Lincoln what's well, because God's relocated you so well, I'm here by accident no you're not no you're here by the hand of God God's relocated well it's a little bit lonely yeah it is a little bit lonely 
because God's taking you out of the people network that you were used to. He's taking you out of the family base. Why? Because God wants to do something thoroughly original in your life. He doesn't want you to be pressured by those around you to become like they want you to be. He set you free to become like He wants you to be. That's why there's a degree of isolation in, in how you feel right now. I'll just say this for those that are happily married, that even in the best of times, you're still 10% lonely because you don't belong to this earth. You belong to a place whose, whose builder and architect is God. And so even on the best of days, you're still going to feel lonely. Often we think, oh, loneliness is a blight. No, loneliness is an indication that you're on a journey. It's an indication that you haven't arrived yet. It's an indication you're on your way to a celestial city. You're on your way to something that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. You just got to watch it though, because this is where God totally purifies you. Because a lot of people have one foot in the world, one foot in God. One foot in money, the love of money, one foot in the love of God. And it's okay if the wheel stops spinning, but once it starts spinning, men have a tremendous problem with that because you can't both love the world and love God at the same time. There's, there's a duel going on right now. Some of you love the pleasures of the earth, but you want to love God and you live in two camps and yet you can't be successful for long living in two camps. At some stage, you're going to have to choose. And Jesus said, I'd rather you, instead of being lukewarm, doing the splits, I'd rather you be cold two feet in the world or two feet in the will of God. And I want to encourage you today, two feet in the will of God is the will of God for your life. That's the source of fulfillment and the source of completion within your life. Finally, in number, what, what number are we up to? In number five, he, he shapes us and he shapes us, his hands back upon our lives. And I love the presence of God, but I'm not hooked on it because I realize that a lot of these processes are absent of the presence of God but God's near he's not far God's close he's not away God loves me he doesn't reject me but the feeling of presence comes and goes you want to enjoy it when it's there same in a marriage the feeling of intimacy comes and goes but you can't be hooked on it otherwise the reason why two are better than one is pushed aside for the sake of just the presence and the enjoyment of the relationship, not the effectiveness of the relationship. So he shapes us, his hands back upon our lives. We're starting to feel like God's with us. And what God's trying to do, he's trying to unite the natural you with the new you. It's difficult then. I shared last night with the men that often the natural you was left at the cross and a fake you arises from the cross. Somebody who's not you, just religious and spiritual, but quite boring. And yet the natural you is, is dramatic. It was created by God, but it's just, over, it's just there's a lot of topsoil in the natural you through disappointment, through rejection, through pain, through depression. There's a lot of topsoil, but God wants to reunite. He wants to find the treasure within the soil and reunite that with the new you. And the new you is, is the born again you, the you that's been created in the image of God. When God connects the natural you with the new you, it makes the next you. And the next you is the next big thing. I'll just say this, that, that don't try and find yourself because you're not going to like who you find. You're gonna, there's a Kim Kardashian in all of us. There's a, a Simon Cowell in all of us. You, you're going you're gonna to find there's a lot of you in the history of you. Plus, you're going to find yourself frozen in time in the past. 
uh, what 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 you want to do is you 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 want to become the next you and you want to you want to you want to discover who God's making you to be and so rule number one is stop comparing yourself stop looking at how God's shaping other people and look at God how God's shaping you some people call say that I'm like Aldi because I'm good and different and uh, and but it's the difference that, that it's the difference that sets us apart and some of you, there's a, there's, a, there's a scaredness within you to be different, yet the difference is your uniqueness. That's why God put you on planet Earth, to complement, not, not to repeat, but to complement the person next to you. And so, and so God wants to give you a confidence to, to know God shaped me. As the blueprint says, God shape me as you called me before the foundation of the earth. God shape me according to every, according to every word that you've spoken over me in times past. Shape me. And when God shapes you, it's, it's un, uncomparable. The same as you can't compare the Welsh valleys to the Swiss Alps. They're incomparable. And you can't compare the flatlands, the, the wetlands of Florida with the Swiss Alps or the Welsh valleys. And you can't compare the interior of Australia with anything else in all of the earth. It's because it's unique. It's beautiful. It's incomparable. And some of you just need to tear up the comparison sheet. Stop following certain people on social media because it's dragging you down. It's making you feel like that you're a second-hand copy of somebody else. It's making you feel like you're secondary to, to where the limelight is. And yet God's limelight is on each one of you because he wants to make you not famous. He wants to make you significant. You're on the planet still because God has unfulfilled prophecy over your life. What number am I up to? Okay, so there's only seven, right? So, so six is, is um, that he heats you up. He fires you up. Uh, this is where he puts you in the kiln. And it's really interesting. I'll just say this, right? Because this is, this is interesting just to a few people here, right? That, that in, the, in the kiln, this is where you put boundaries up. This is where you learn to say no. Now, you don't start off your Christian life saying no, because that's just a mask for rebellion. So all the other first five processes, you're saying, yes, yes, Lord. God's trying to create a, a submissive spirit within you. He's trying to create a humility within you. But you know, at some stage, job's been done. At some stage, you're going to have to put some boundaries up and say, hey, no, because the job's been done. Sometimes you need to turn against the thing that actually fashioned and formed you. And that's the completion of the process because otherwise you learn to live the Christian life pleasing people. And I'll say this, that you need to learn to please people. The reason why you were a successful four-year-old is because you learned to please the people around you. The reason why you didn't get isolated and abandoned into drug overdose when you were 13 is because you learned to please the people around you. It's an asset pleasing you until you get to this stage. It's no longer an asset. Now it's a deficit. And you need to learn to stand up. You need to say no. You need to grow conviction and stop bowing down to forces that control you. They made you, but they're finished now. Now you need to push off the constraints that fashioned you and realize that now I'm a woman, I'm a man of conviction, and I'm standing up for what I actually believe. That's what happens in the kiln. And number seven, Kim can come back. And number seven is that he now glazes you. He now paints you. 
and I saw a potter. And this potter said to me, his name was Chris, he said, he said the most incredible time in the, in the life of a potter is, is when you, when you uh, reopen the oven and you take out something that's been glazed. He said, it's unbelievable. You just can't predict what it's going to look like. He said, it's unbelievable. The problem with the processes of God is, is, is they're all quite ugly. There's, there's an ugly stage, just like a teenager between 13 and 16. It's an ugly stage. <laughs> there's an ugly stage within, within our lives. But there is a time where God turns, where God turns ashes into beauty. There is a time where God turns mourning into joy. I, I, I used to play the guitar. We, I sold my guitars at, in order to pursue the ministry. And I thought, well, it's just the sacrifice. I'm not trying to count the sacrifices, but God is. Because 10 years later, I had a, I had a Yamaha guitar, gold-plated machine heads. It was a beautiful guitar. 10 years later, I was, I, I was 10,000 miles away from Brisbane. I was in Milton Keynes, uh, like a Canberra city to, to London. And, it, it was, and, and this guy was playing a guitar leading worship. And it was the same guitar that I'd given up a decade ago. Gold-plated machine heads, beautiful strings, beautiful sound. I didn't worship at all. I was just well jealous. <sighs> And at the end, the guy, the guy came up to me. He said, Dave, I, I feel the Spirit of God say, I want you to give, I, want, I need to give this guitar to you. He knew nothing of the stuff. I went and saw the pastor. He said, just take it. I went back. I said, can I have the case as well? Because <laughs> cases are expensive, you know. <laughs> and you know, you know what it was? It was God returning beauty. The problem with Christians, we're trying to be too cool every step of the journey. There's, there's a time where God undresses us. There's a time where God uncoolifies us. There's a time for awkwardness. And that's the process of God, a very awkward. But if you spin out and try and be good looking halfway through the process, you'll miss out and become a skyscraper. You'll stop at floor 26. And yet I've got to say this church is destined for 77 floors. That you're destined to live in a, in a penthouse apartment on top of the workings of God, not below the workings of God. And you might think that God's against you. He's actually more for you than you could ever realize. If you saw the plans that He had for you, plans for good and not for evil, you'd say, God, go for it. It's just that what you need to do is stop freezing yourself in a process and realize that, that this process is only for short, limited season. Just, I'll finish on this. The pot, my potter said it's beautiful what, when you see the, the vase. I'm thinking, oh, hang on a sec, mate. God's not making no vases. God's making vessels. He says, stick some flowers, stick some carnations in this. Sorry, mate. No carnations are going in me. What's going in me is cold water to the thirsty. What's going in me is medicine to the sick. What's going in me is comfort to the discomforted. What's going in me is stuff. I'm not born to be an ornament. Born to be a vessel. To endure deserts, to reach people stuck in crevices, stuck in broken, cracked ground. That's what I'm born for. And it's the same for each one of you. 
Don't think that you're destined just to be comfortable and just to look good on the corner with some, with some roses sticking out from you. You're not. That's why God spent time making you durable and He spent time making you large and He spent time making you unique because God's plans and purposes are for the extraordinary purposes of raising a generation. Have I preached well or exceedingly well? <laughs> come on, lift your hands to heaven right now. Come on. Father, let a patience come upon each one of us and let a diligence come upon each one of us. Father God, let there be a reason for the season. Some God's finding you and freeing you. Some God's carrying you. Some God's refining you. Some of you God's positioning you. Some of you God's shaping you. Some of you God's, God's hardening you. Some of you God's glazing you. But if you can understand this morning where you're at, it makes an incredible difference. Father, let, a, let, a, let a, 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 a comfort come upon each person. Even in the refining stage, that, oh, I know what's happening. Father, let, there be, let, there, let the spirit of the men of Issachar, that they understood the times, be upon each of the people within this room. Father, bless them, comfort them, stir them up. Give them a diligence, a holy diligence. Give them hope in the hopelessness. Let them see that the future is not just a repetition of the past. Father God, that you're closer and more involved and more integrated in their life. And we thank you that you're already moving. We thank you that you're moving under the iceberg. You're moving amongst the foundations. We thank you that none of us have been left out. Just while I finish, there's one, there's, there's one two, three, four, five people here that need to return to God, return to the process, and, and also people that have never, ever even really met God. He's been around, but you've never truly got to know Him. I'm going to pray a prayer. This is the prayer I prayed when I was in the dry riverbed. And I want you to pray it with me. Everybody help us out. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for finding me in this abandoned creek. I thank you for seeing something in me when I saw nothing in myself. I've got here by my own rebellion and pride. And I ask you to forgive me through the blood of Christ. Dig me up out of the miry clay. Put me on your back. Take me into destiny. Be the Lord of my life. If that's you right now, the Spirit of God's here. I'm going to get you to do one more thing. When I count to three, and not beforehand, but when I count to three, backwards, I want you to draw a line in the sand between your history and your future. And that is by lifting up your right hand and leaving up till all the hands are up. With every eye closed except a couple of counselors saying, then I want you to draw a line in the sand. I want you to purposefully split time today to the person you were, to the person you will be. If you prayed that prayer sincerely from your heart, on the count of three, I want you to lift up your right hand. Let's do it now. Three, two, one, lift it up. Come on, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. Hands going up higher, a little higher, a little higher, a little higher so I can see little higher there's fabulous hand in my middle right hand section there's a fabulous hand in my middle left hand section I suspect there's other hands around keep your hands up Father God let the peace of God that passes all understanding be upon these people and bless them and Father give them a knowledge of your word and let them walk step by step into the purposes of God you put your hands down in Jesus name everyone look at me right I've just got, we've only got a couple of books left. This is my latest book called The Truth Diet. And there's 181 nuggets of truth. And as you go through the book, they're just little little bits of wisdom in that. It starts to really contend with woke culture 
and I'm quite proud of the way I've done it. I've done it with cleverness. I haven't just done it with, as a bulldozer. And I think that this would be a great book for you understanding what's happening in the world around about us. And this is my book called Think Twice. It's 500 uh, nuggets of truth uh, to succeed in the Christian life. This is more a book that you put in your bathroom and read 10 at a time on 50 dates with your bathroom. Uh, don't forget, try and stay if you can because Jen's got a word in season for each one of you and I, I, if I was you, I wouldn't miss it. I, t- I totally revere Jen's ministry and the clarity of it and, and, and you know, she'll prophesy over a few people but there's prophecy from the very beginning to the end. I've loved being with you. God bless you and I'll see you soon. Bye.